Back in 1347, the Black Plague was in full swing in Europe, and it was just killing people left and right. And a lot of people that were living at that time saw the Black Plague as some sort of righteous, holy, divine judgment on mankind. And so there are some people, especially in the citizens of a town called Lübeck in Germany, they thought that they could appease God by giving money to the monastery. So they gathered at the monastery, these people wanting to somehow buy God's favor back, and they, they wanted to give the money back to the church. Well, the monks, though, they feared contamination. This is all a true story, by the way. Uh, they, they feared contamination, so they shut the gates of the monastery so that nobody could come in to the monastery. But the people were so desperate to win back God's favor or to buy back God's favor that they began to take their, their riches, their, their, their money, their valuables, and throw them over the wall of the monastery so it would land in the, the courtyard of the monastery. Well, again, fearing contamination, the monks, they took the money and the, the valuables and they began to throw it back over the wall. And this went on for several hours this one day. Money and valuables going back and forth from one side of the wall to the, to the next. And finally, finally the monks said, well, forget it. We'll, we'll just let them throw it over here and we'll, we, won't just, we won't touch it. And so literally piles of money rose to like three feet on the other side of the wall. But for months, nobody touched the money. Now, what was going on here? The people of Lubeck, they, why did they want to give the money? Well, they thought that it was going to bring them life. Why did the monks not want the money? They thought that it was going to bring them death, right? And thus begins this dichotomy of looking at money, two different ways of looking at money that are actually pretty wrong. The first one, let's look at these. The first one is the idea that money can buy you life, you know, security or, 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 or fulfillment or, or health and ultimately, eventually, uh, immortality. Is that true? Well, for, for instance, can money buy you security? Well, in, in the Bible, we read of, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, uh, something that Jesus said. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where th- thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, Jesus is saying, you start to lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. There is no security in that. That's why we buy insurance on our cars or our houses, because we understand that things can happen. Nothing is guaranteed through, through life at all. And even if you were to put it all in one safe place, the saying is still true that says eventually you and your money will part from each other. It will either leave you in this life or you will leave it when you die. At some point, you and your money are going to be separated. So can money buy security? No. How about fulfillment? Uh, can, can we really get so much money that we could just say, that's it, I have no more problems, my, my life is so good, I, I don't have to worry about it. a thing? Well, ask Howard Hughes, billionaire. Um, you know, 
They asked famously, Howard, how much is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. Here, here, he had more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime, and yet he still did not find fulfillment in that. And he died a, a, a miserable recluse that had shut out the world and had destroyed all relationships that he had. Can money then buy immortality? Can, can you live forever by somehow buying your way to health? Well, Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 12. He said, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, Well, what shall I do? I, I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, Ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. Which, by the way, stop right there. Did he have a place to store his crops? He's got a barn. He's got actually barns, okay? So he really did have a place to store. But I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And, and, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then... Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So money can't buy security. It can't buy contentment. It can't buy immortality. In short, the, the idea that money can buy you life is, is wrong. Well, well, what about the opposite? If it can't buy you life, can, can it bring you death? You know, one of the most misquoted scriptures out there comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we read, For money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, because of money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, is that what that said? Were were you watching as I was reading up there? What does it say? It does not say money is the root of all sorts of evil. What does it say? It says the... Ah, the love of money. That's one Greek word that basically says that you are putting money above everything else. It's a comparative thing where you, you, you don't love anything else. You love money. It's the first priority of your life. And it doesn't say some people, because of money, have wanted from the faith. It says some people eager. Do you see that? Eager for money. They have wandered from the faith. And, and I love that word as well because that word actually speaks of a stretching, like an unnatural stretching, like something that is actually uncomfortable. Like I'm supposed to be living here and I'm stretching, I'm eager to get something else that I was not ever given. It's those people that have sometimes wandered from the faith. See, I, I want you to understand today that money is not an evil thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, When God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. So, folks, money is not a bad thing. We use money to pay our bills. We use money to heat our homes. We, We use money to buy groceries for our tables. And we use money to build God's kingdom. That's why we even, when we, a couple weeks ago, or last week when we were talking about Uganda and how the children raised money to buy a vehicle that would transport sick children from the villages into the city so that they could have the procedures done for them and people could see God's love in a practical way, that, that takes money. 
and they use the money for God's kingdom. See, God never condemns money, and he doesn't condemn rich people. Abraham was a rich man. Isaac, Jacob, David, King David, King Solomon. These all had rich riches. They were considered very wealthy. So money is not necessarily a bad thing. It's when the love of money and the eager nature for money creeps in. When money actually becomes our God, when it becomes first place, when we begin to worship it, when we begin to structure our whole lives around the concept of money, that's when it becomes sinful. You see, money is either our God in our minds or it is God's tool in our lives, in our hands. It's going to either be our God or it's going to be God's tool. That's really what we need to, to, to understand today. It depends on whose money we consider all of the resources that we have. If you, if you think of wealth coming from digging into the ground and finding these precious metals, then you can ask this question, whose mine is it anyway? Get it? Whose mine is it anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, from whom does it come? Uh, where do we find our resources? What's the source of the, the resources that we have? Is it yours or is it God's? This shows the importance of verses like Deuteronomy 8, 18, where it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms this covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. It's God that gives you the ability to make money, to accumulate wealth for a purpose. Now, it's been said that money is a tainted thing. Taint yours, taint mine. Ha, 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 ha. Which, that then begs the question, then whose is it? Whose is it? Let me share with you one of the most fascinating verses in the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's. The earth belongs to the Lord. The Lord owns the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, uh, about five or six years ago, uh, as, a, uh, as an offering meditation, I got up and I read that verse. Uh, but before I did, I said, hey, I, I want to know this. How many of you own a computer? Well, probably... 80% of the congregation raised their hands. I said, okay, now let me read this verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Then I said, how many of you own a computer? Now about half of the people kept their hands down this time because they, they started seeing what I was talking about. And then I said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How many of you own a computer? By this time, only about six people hadn't gotten it. They raised their hand. I, I remember this one man, Woody uh, Whitmire. Apparently, he just wasn't listening because when I said it the fourth time, Woody was the only one who raised his hand. I go, Woody, do you own your computer? If this verse is true, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then that means your computer is the Lord's. Who, he owns it. And if he owns it all, can you see how this is especially true for Christians who have made a public declaration that Jesus is Lord? Because lordship is about ownership. He owns it. He is the Lord. We are called to be his managers. He gives it to us to be good stewards of. And so because of that, 
in this next few weeks, yes, I'm talking about money for the next few weeks. So some of you will see you in a few weeks, I guess, because you'll say, I don't want to hear about money. That's all the church wants is money, money, money. Listen, you're not going to hear about, as I'm preaching about money, you're not going to hear a lot about the tithe. Now, now, what is the tithe? The, the tithe is, is specific, it's a word that specifically means one-tenth. It's 10%. Uh, some people say to me, well, Trey, we, we tithe 5%. And I say, no, you don't. They say, yeah, 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 we do. We tithe 5%. I say, no, you might give 5%, but if you are tithing, it means you're taking one-tenth of what you've earned and you're giving it away. So you can give 5%, but you can only tithe 10%. Does that make sense? Now, now some people say, well, the tithe, that's, that's an Old Testament principle. We're not under the, the Old Testament law anymore. We don't have to worry about the Old Testament. Yes, it was an Old Testament principle. It, it was the requirement that God had for his people to give to support the ministry of the tabernacle and later of the temple. But did you know that the New Testament actually also talks about tithing? One time, and it came from Jesus' own mouth. He was, he was scolding the religious leaders because they were tithing, but he says, that, that's great. I'm glad that you're tithing, but you don't get the heart behind the tithing. He says, I want you to continue to tithe, but I want you to have a good heart about it. I, I want you to understand why you're tithing. See, Jesus never lowered the bar on anything, did he? He said, hey, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, don't commit adultery. And he goes, okay, that's good. But he says, let's go one step further and say, let's not even have lust in our hearts. He says, oh, you, you've heard it said, don't, don't kill anybody, don't murder. But he goes, you know what, let's, let's raise the bar and say, let's not even have hatred in our hearts. So if this is Jesus' teaching about the Old Testament, why would he ever lower the bar on anything? He didn't say don't tithe. He said tithe, but do it with the right heart. Understand why you're tithing. And so all that to say is this. I don't want to talk about the tithe because I learned over 20 years ago that the great escape that I'm talking about here, the escape from the trap that that consumerism and materialism and debt has on us, in order to to understand this great escape, it's not about 10%. It's not. It's about the 100%. You see, God doesn't just care about 10% of your income, and that's why he has the tithe. He cares about how we truly live with all the resources that he's given to us. Well, let me tell you a personal story. Uh, I, the first time I ever heard a really beneficial sermon on giving, I had helped start a church in Sacramento, California. Now, I had been at a church in Napa where we had a Christian preschool connected with our church. And so my daughter, Jayana, at the time had gone to that preschool. And so I kind of figured when we would move to Sacramento that I needed to find a Christian school for her to be a part of. Well, we, we moved to, to the Sacramento area. We, uh, we continued to give 10% to the Lord. And yet we were finding uh, things really, really tight every month where some of our bills were not getting paid and kind of pushed off and, and having to, to look at uh, loans on our house and things like that already just by moving in. And, and then I heard this principle from, from the pastor uh, about it's not about the 10%, it's about the 100%, I realized that we had made a choice to put Jayana into a Christian school that was not necessary. 
It was an exorbitant price for us. We were well beyond our means, and so I decided that I needed to honor God with a full 100%. Knowing that my daughter was already getting a spiritual education at the, at the school, I mean at the, the, the church, and at home, and it would have been nice if we could have afforded it, but we couldn't have afforded it. I was not honoring God by going into debt to put my daughter into a Christian school. And so we took her out of the Christian school, and guess what? Uh, she, she's walking with Jesus today. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, you, you just put her in peril of her eternal soul, Trey. What I did was I began to, to walk by God's standards with 100% of my stewardship, not just the 10%. So I may give a portion, a percentage of, of what God has given to me. I, I might give that on a weekly basis or, or, or a monthly basis. But in reality, guess what, folks? Everything that I have is the Lord's. Everything. It's His money. It's His money that I use to pay bills. It's His money that I use to pay the rent. It's His money that, that I pay tuition at an overpriced Christian school. And so since it's all his, and I'm the manager, shouldn't I be more concerned about how he, the Lord, the owner, would want me to be treating and spending his finances? So as we begin this series on biblical stewardship, I know some of you are going to shut me off. You're going to say, I knew it. The church is only about money. I met several of you for the first time last week. And, and you really enjoyed what we did here in, in talking about our missions uh, to Uganda. And you said, well, I want to come back. And I said, well, guess what? I'm talking about money for the next three weeks. And it's, it's amazing. I see those people back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but some of you will just say, forget it. The church is only about money. But if you think that, then you've missed something that is absolutely true. You, you, you have missed how spirituality and finances are inextricably linked together. You say, no, no, finances and spirituality, it's like separation of church and state, right? My finances have nothing to do with my walk with the Lord. Oh, okay. Let's go back to the Gospels. John the Baptist is a man who is uh, baptizing people to get them ready for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as he does so, he is preaching repentance. And, and as he's baptizing them and, and teaching them to repent, they had a great question. They said, what does repent really look like? What, what, what do you mean repent? And, and in Luke, I, I don't have it up here, but in Luke, the, there's this, this question that they asked. What should we do then? John answered them. Okay, you, you want to know what repentance looks like? The man with two tunics should give one of them away to somebody who doesn't have a tunic. The, the one who has extra food should do the same. And then the tax collector said, well, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more money than you're required to. Don't be greedy. And then some soldiers said, well, what should we do? And he said, uh, don't extort money from people. Don't accuse people falsely in, in order to rob them. Be content with your pay. So folks, check this out. They asked about repentance. Total spiritual thing, right? Oh, what is how, how can we repent? What, what is he talking about? In every single one of those instances, he talks about finances. He says, if you have extra, be generous. He says, don't be greedy. 
and, and try to steal from other people what, what you don't need to have for yourself. Be content with what God has given to you. Folks, that's at the heart of the great escape. Living by God's principles to find financial freedom. You see, God's heart for you. Your heavenly Father has a heart to break you free from the bondage of materialism and consumerism and debt. But in order for that to happen, you've got to make a determination. You've got to make the decision. When it comes to your money, whose mind is it anyway? Is it yours or is it the Lord's? That, that, that's the only two possible answers that you can come up with. Now, the mindset that it's mine, it's ours, that, becomes, that comes very, very early in life. Have you ever seen the toddler's creed? It goes like this. If I want it, it's mine. If I had it and I give it to you and I change my mind, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago and now want it back, it's mine. If it's mine, it never belonged to you or anyone else, no matter what. If we're building something together, all of the pieces are mine. And if it looks like it's mine, it's mine. Now, that's cute when you're talking about toddlers. It's sinful when you never grow out of that. And yet, how many of us live our lives saying, well, that's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's almost as if there has been this fundamental flip-flop that happens when it comes to our stuff. We think we own our stuff, but over time we realize that the tables have turned and now our stuff owns us. And God is no longer your Lord. Jesus is no longer your Lord. Your stuff is your Lord, and it's out of control. Now, Paul gives Timothy an important command to pass along to those who are rich in this world. And by the way, it doesn't take uh, too many missions trips to, to figure out that even the poorest of Americans are richer than the majority of the world today. So don't turn this off and say, oh, he's not talking about me because I ain't rich. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God cares about our enjoyment, enjoying the things that He gives to us. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life. I love this. That they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. Folks, that's what God wants for you. To have security and fulfillment and immortality. Life eternal. But how is that achieved? How, how can we who are rich in this present world achieve this? Does he say that we have to just give up everything? No. He just says, listen, you've got to change your mindset. You, you don't let your stuff own you. You own your stuff. And really, you know that God owns your stuff. And so, if God calls you to be generous, you be generous. If, you, if God has you developed this mindset of I'm willing to share, if I have it, then be willing to share if you have it. And, and it's so sad to me when the world is getting it way more than the church. Uh, when I went down to uh, Southern California back in October, 
to take my dad to go see that horrible 49ers Rams game. Um, they took me to a make your own pizza place. It's, it's kind of like mod pizza. It's called Pieology. And, and while I'm there, and Pieology is not a, a Christian based operation, it's just a, it's a business where you can choose your own toppings for your, for your pizzas. On the wall, as we were sitting there eating there, I was looking at the wall, and it was a wall filled with sayings about generosity because that's how they have decided to run their business, was being generous and, and not just hoarding it for themselves. And, and this, one, this one quote jumped out at me. It was Anne Frank, who was not a, a Christian leader at all. She was a little Jewish girl in World War II. She said, no one has ever become poor by giving. Hmm. See, God doesn't want you poor. Uh, this is not health and wealth. I'm not telling you that God wants you rich and healthy and all that kind of stuff. That's not what this is about. God wants you healthy financially so that when he calls you to be generous, you are able to. When you want to be generous, you don't look at your checkbook and say, I want to be generous, but I don't know how because you have not organized your life, lined it up with the principles of Scripture for the whole 100%. God is not telling us to give away all of our money. He is telling us to get used to the idea of giving some of it away on a regular basis. That's why I believe he instituted the tithe to train us how to live with trusting him by giving him the first fruits because, well, what if I don't get any more? Well, you're, you're trusting God. And by, uh, by cultivating generosity in my life. And once I get used to learning how to manage the 90% that's left over, then I realize that I'm not caught in that trap that so many in our culture are trapped in. So many people fall into when it comes to the question of whose mind is it anyway. Uh, do you know who this man is? Do you, do you know what business he, uh, he, he uh, began? Yeah, it's finger looking good. By the way... For three bucks, you can go down there and get the bowl. I love the bowl. The bowl's got mashed potatoes and, and gravy and corn and chicken and cheese. And it's a heart attack waiting to happen. But it's, it's only three bucks. So, and I'm not being paid by KFC. So I, I'm just telling you what, what, I, what I enjoy. Anyways, when, when Harlan Sanders tried to sell his recipe for KFC, he had no money. He was literally bankrupt. He slept in his car as he was trying to sell individual restaurants his secret recipe. Now, the business eventually did start to grow, and in his 60s, when he was in his 60s, the colonel made the leap into franchising, and that's where he made most of his fortune. This was such a long time ago that when he had $2 million selling KFC for $2 million, that was a huge sum back in those days. And part of his investment strategy was this. He's going to give it away. He, he would faithfully tithe to the church, and he was willing to give a huge portion of his money away. Here's what he said when he was 90 years old. He said, listen, I always figured there's no use of being the richest man in the cemetery. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? He says, you can't operate from the cemetery. He says, most people do not know that I gave most of my money away. And I gave it to the kingdom of God. You see, the colonel made sure that he was just the colonel and not the general. He made sure that he was, he was just the, the, the manager, not the owner. He made sure that his money was not his. It was the Lord's. Now, some of you say, well, okay, that's great. 
for those who are really, really rich. But let me tell you, it's not only the rich that have been known to struggle with this area of their life. Go down to a convenience store one day when the lottery gets over $150 million. Look who's in line, hoping beyond hope to find some kind of break in their life to, to buy a piece of paper for 20 bucks. These people, many of them are not well off, but it's, it's if they're putting their hope in a system that even gamblers say is a dumb way of making money and not to be used for investment purposes, as you hear on the... Uh, yeah, so you've heard those too. See, no matter what level of income, we can learn from this. People will always be tempted to make their money their God. And, and though maybe some don't have as much to give away as others do, even those who are not well off can learn how to share with what they do have with even the little extra that they have to give away to those who are in the same boat that they are. But it comes down to this. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to live like this? Not like this. This is toddler. This is mine, mine, mine. You can't have. Are you willing, and it's a trust issue, are you willing to begin to live like this? That's where the rubber meets the road. A, a preacher one time went out to visit uh, an old rancher from his church. He said, hey, Clyde, he said, let me ask you a question. If you had, a, if you had $200, would you, uh, would you give $100 to the Lord? Clyde said, oh, you bet I would, preacher. He said, okay, great. If you had 100 sheep, Clyde, would you give 50 of those sheep to the Lord? Clyde goes, you better believe I would, preacher. And he said, okay, Clyde, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? He goes, now that ain't fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> Looking at you, Dan. Great bacon, by the way, man. Great bacon. Anyways, that's, that's the practical. That's practical. Are you willing to live like this? If you are, then guess what? You have made God your God. If you're not, then you're still struggling with who is your God. And it's, sometimes it's fear. I just don't know if God will truly take care of me if I live like that. But can you imagine what life would be if you were not living in that trap? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 again. Jesus said there in verse 24, He says, uh, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So when you consider right now your financial situation, are you pretty confident? Are you pretty secure? Or are you feeling a little anxious, a little fearful, like you don't know how you're going to get through 2020? Jesus understands. He then goes on and says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now that's a risk, God. Jesus, what you're telling me to do is kind of risky because what if I give all of this away and really become poor? See, it's all a matter of trust. Do you trust what God says in His Word about how to view your stuff? 
Or are you holding on to, for dear life because you fear losing it all? He continues, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, that's what this series is going to be about. Finding a way to live biblically and healthily when it comes to your resources and your investments and your generosity. This is not to beat you up. I promise. I, I love you. I love serving as your pastor. I do not want to beat you up. It's, it's about actually coming alongside of you and helping you figure out how to be the best steward, not of just the 10%, but of the entire 100% that God has entrusted you with. So Jesus finishes it out. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on forward. Um, you're going to find that uh, we're going to be talking about debt next week. So if that's something that you're struggling with, make sure you're here. Maybe this is a, a, a series that people in your life need to hear as well. We can add chairs to this building, not a problem. If you want to bring people in to, to hear what God says. This is not about a bait and switch. It's not about the budget of the church. It's not about gaining more money. It's about you living by how God wants you to live and finding the freedom that your heavenly father wants you to have as you begin to live by his principles. 